Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. We know that exercise is good for us, but for athletes who run, how might that level of running impact their bones? We'll be talking about some fascinating new research on this topic that was presented at Endo 2022 in Atlanta. The title of the abstract is Male Runners Have Impaired Tibial Cortical Bone Integrity and Strength Compared to Non-Athlete. And joining us is one of the authors of this study, Dr. Melanie Shore Haynes, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Haynes. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So we know athletes can put a lot of stress on their bodies. Prior to your research, what did we know about the relationship between athletic activity and bone health? It was well known that female athletes who have relative energy deficiency or low energy availability defined as caloric intake that's insufficient to meet the needs of their energy expenditure were at higher risk for hypothalamic amenorrhea and impaired skeletal integrity. And that syndrome, called the female athlete triad, increases the risk for bone stress injuries, including stress fractures. However, what was not known was whether that same phenomenon also occurred in male athletes and potential mechanisms of such a phenomenon. And that is what we were interested in investigating in this study. So this seems like it's a little bit of a new area to explore. You know, what about men? What did you expect to find? Yes, we were expecting that male runners or or athletes would have lower bone density than healthy controls and that things such as lower fat mass, lower testosterone levels might be associated with lower bone density and strength. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your your study? So this was a cross-sectional study of 31 men aged 16 to 30 years. About half were runners and about half were the uh, non-athlete controls. The runners had to run at least 30 miles a week for at least the past six months of the year. And the non-athlete controls had not to do any sort of weight-bearing exercise that was in excess of two hours a week and not participate in organized team sports. After everyone was screened for eligibility, we then performed a series of exams, including distal tibia and radial volumetric bone density structure by high-resolution peripheral quantitative CT, as well as estimated bone strength, such as failure load, by uh, microfinite element analysis. And the reason why we were particularly interested in failure load is because failure load is the force that's required to break a bone. So Mm -hmm. we were interested in knowing, because higher failure loads associated with higher bone strength, what were the determinants of that in male athletes. We also looked at body composition by dual energy x-ray absorptiometry and ran a number of uh, hormone levels as well. One phrase I see throughout your abstract is low energy availability. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that and why it's important? Yeah, so low energy availability is a complex thing that people are still working on the best definition for. But basically what it means is that you're not consuming enough calories to meet the needs of your basic metabolic function plus the energy that you're expending with exercise. And what did you find in your study? We found some interesting results that we were not expecting. So we found that the male athletes had 
higher trabecular bone density, which is like the inner compartment of the bone, compared to the non-athlete controls, and this was at the tibia, but the tibial cortical bone, which is like the outer shell of the bone, tibial cortical bone density and tibial cortical bone structure were actually impaired in mm. the male athletes compared to the controls. And we think this might be part of the reason why male athletes may be predisposed to stress fractures because stress fractures occur in that cortical outer shell of the bone. We then looked at potential predictors or determinants of bone density and strength in the male athletes. And we found that the athletes who had a relatively lower BMI had lower tibial bone strength than the athletes who had a relatively higher BMI, suggesting that low weight as a proxy for energy availability hmm. may be a determinant of bone strength in these athletes. In addition, we found that, again, in the athletes only group, that lean mass was positively associated with estimated bone strength at the tibia. And estradiol, which is converted from testosterone in adipose tissue, was also positively associated with bone strength at the tibia in the athletes. So those data suggested that lean mass and hormones secreted by fat may be determinants of bone strength. You mentioned that there were some findings there that you didn't quite expect. Was there anything that you would describe as maybe surprising in what you found? Yeah, so I think the most surprising thing was with the testosterone levels. So first, the mean serum testosterone levels in the athletes was actually not different than in the healthy controls. Mm. And testosterone was also not a determinant of bone variables in the athletes, meaning that you couldn't simply take a male runner and screen them for hypogonadism with a testosterone level. And you essentially couldn't feel reassured if their testosterone level was normal because it doesn't seem to be as an important determinant of bone density and strength than estradiol, for instance. So this idea that maybe estradiol was sort of the composite of both testosterone and fat because you have to aromatize testosterone to estradiol in the fat that maybe estradiol is a better marker of bone density and strength in male runners. Bringing it back to the concept of energy availability, there might be some people who are listening to this who are running athletes or know someone who is, if they're concerned about this, maybe they shouldn't have to be at this stage, who knows. But if there's anything you can do to increase energy availability, what might that be? We do have some super late-breaking data from this oh. study that looked at some more of the nutritional variables in the group. And we found that the male runners who did not meet their recommended daily fat intake, hmm. independent of the number of calories they were consuming, that that was associated with lower bone density and strength, either at the tibia or actually the radius too. We also found that low energy availability. So again, this idea of caloric intake in comparison to how much energy you're expending, that lower energy availability was also associated with impaired bone density, structure, and strength variables at the tibia or radius. So it does seem like there is an association there. Of course, correlation does not prove causation. So mm -hmm. our next step is we're following these male runners longitudinally to see how Nutrition, body composition, hormones may predict changes in bone density and strength over time. I think there is some very enticing data from our study, and I think the bottom line for right now is that we have a lot more to learn, but 
male runners need to consider not just the quantity of their calories that they consume, but also the quality of their calories too. And I think getting a nutrition evaluation, if there's any concern, is certainly something to consider because we are trying to prevent recurrent Mm -hmm. bone stress fractures in these athletes. You did mention earlier that there was a next step that you're already thinking about, but when you think about your findings, can you think of any other ways that they might impact or inspire future research? Yeah, so our longitudinal study that I was mentioning is an observational study, and what we'd like to do is take what we learned from that longitudinal study and use it to create an interventional study. I mean, potential opportunities would be have two groups of athletes where, you know, one gets nutritional counseling, the other doesn't, or the two different groups get two different types of nutritional counseling and see how that impacts their bone health going forward. It's fantastic. I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing this fascinating research with us. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. That's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Haynes. We're nearing our 60th episode of the podcast and there's still so much to talk about in the field of endocrinology. Maybe there's a topic close to your heart that you'd like us to talk about. I'd love to hear about it. Let me know by emailing me at podcast at endocrine.org. And as always, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.